This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We mentioned on last week's program that uh, we, we were having Guy, the board watcher, come in to assist the efforts of this program, and I thought it would be good to actually bring Guy on Radio Parallax to talk about what that really means, because I imagine that term doesn't mean a lot to everybody. So um, welcome to Radio Parallax officially, Guy Tortorisi. Thank you. So happy to be here today. Let's just let's paint a picture for people of what it means to board watch. There's a little studio down in the basement of Freeborn Hall, and uh, people, that's where the broadcasts come from, which one has to go down there and more or less push the buttons and uh, work the switches. Well, yeah, pretty much. A lot of times we've got to first pull up the program on the computer that we have down there. If it's not already a pre-recorded um, show from our side of it. So with Radio Parallax, I go to the Radio Parallax website, and I um, click on the newest show that there is, and then bring up the faders on the board and uh, make sure that all the volume levels are uh, correct as they go out. Well, we are delighted to be heard on, uh, on, on this station yet again. People can certainly go to radioparallax.com without turning on their car radio or home radio. But it's good, it's good to have both going for us. Or streaming it on the web. Yes. From kdvs.org. Yes, that's, all, that's another option. We should mention, I think, that you are not actually a Davis student. Many people at the, at the station are, are not even Davis residents. In fact, you're not. No, I am not. This is one of the great strengths, I think, of a community-based radio station that can reach out elsewhere. Yeah, and since KDVS has such a large area that they can broadcast to throughout the whole Sacramento Valley region, we get it up in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, and that's how I first got turned on to KDVS and got interested in, in being a DJ with them. And I make the drive down there on a weekly basis. Now, not to slight... KVMR, which is a very fine station up in Nevada City, uh, Grass Valley, but but uh, you live up there, it'd be logical for you to, to, to work with that station, but you know, uh, KDVS just makes it easier for people. KDVS makes it very easy to get on the air with them. It's a quick training program. You can start board watching as you're training, and then once you're done training and you've done your volunteer hours, you can get your own show. And let's plug your own show because you have one. Yes, I do. I've got a, a quick little 30-minute section where I highlight a number of bands that are playing around the Sacramento area. In the pre-COVID times, I had another show called The Earworms Garden where I would interview artists on air and talk about their work and where they would be playing within the Sacramento area. And now planning, which is in the works, a public affairs show with Community Beyond Violence, which is a resource for those who have experienced or are survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Well, we wish you well with that. I hope you'll be on the air, what, by the summer, do you think? That's, that's my goal, is okay. by summertime. All right. Well, hopefully we can, we can be of some, some assistance in that endeavor. That'd be great. Two weeks from now, we're going to have a Pledge Drive show here at KDVS, and we're going to probably put together on our end a bunch of clips of, of things we thought were memorable over the past couple of decades. 
and I guess it will fall upon you to uh, to bridge the gap between those uh, those little segments. <laughs> I will certainly try to build that bridge. Well, excellent. Douglas, I would like to thank you for the call on this. I've enjoyed board watching your show ever since it went from previous time slot to Wednesday mornings and have always enjoyed your perspective. Well, thank you, sir. And I hope it can in some way shape what you're going to be doing uh, this summer, which sounds like a very worthy effort. I hope so, and it will. Guy, thank you. We'll talk soon. All righty. Bye now. On the second half of today's program, we're going to again talk with Stephen J. Harper, adjunct professor of law at Northwestern University in Chicago. He is something of a Donald Trump expert, and we we seek his counsel. We're also hoping on today's program to bring you water activist Dan Bakker, but it appears that Dan's busy schedule uh, didn't permit him coming on this week's show, but we will try and get him on soon because, well, there's so much going on in the world of water here in California, not the least of which is the fact that we're again, again, in what appears to be a significant drought. Two days ago, we got what appeared to be two or three-tenths of an inch of rain here in Northern California, and we were all excited. We promised many months ago we would talk with Dan about the missing Delta smelt, formerly the Keystone species in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta, that um, no longer appears to be in evidence. Anyway, we look forward to that in in the weeks to come. We also hope to bring back to this program Howard McKinney, some considered Howard to be the world's leading authority, including Edward McMillan. You know, when I say that, uh, harken back to someone we had in this program a long time ago, which was Professor Irwin Corey, who did label himself in his comedic act as the world's leading authority. He was a very funny man. If you don't know anything about him, you may want to see what you can pull up on YouTube or elsewhere and, uh, and have a good laugh. Since we last spoke to you, dear listener, uh, yours truly had a chance to, to check out some flint napping. In uh, Coyote Hills Regional Park, on a semi-regular basis, they show people what the technology employed by the Ohlone Indians consisted of. And uh, one of the naturalists there, Dino Labiste, was showing folks how to make a mortar and pestle to grind acorns and other food. And uh, Ken Peak, the flint napper, showed up to demonstrate how it is you can take a piece of obsidian and shape it into an arrowhead, which he did for me as I watched, to my great pleasure. Ken made it look pretty easy. In something like 30 minutes, he he knocked out a very nice-looking arrowhead. We had a a little bit of entree into this event because my neighbor, also a a former guest on this program, John Lysak, uh, had among his hobbies shaping objects from obsidian. When he passed, which he, which he did unfortunately two years ago at age 105, John left behind buckets of obsidian. And rather than have them clutter up the yard, I suggested to his son Keith that I, that I run them over to Coyote Hills and see if they could um, make use of them. They were, they were very happy to get this raw material. Dino uh, Labiste gave me a call of thanks. And while I, I simply don't know whether I have the patience to, uh, to try and make stone tools and and. and and I'm pretty sure I don't. I did save a few specimens to play with. Having seen how it's done, uh, I may take a whack at it. Pun intended. 
And something else I want to comment on, because after all, this program doesn't really have a set method of doing things, was a Nova series I was able to check out, a five-part series on the planets. I have to say that I knew a great deal of the information that they were presenting, but how it was presented was a work of art. I highly recommend, dear listener, that you consider checking it out if you've got some spare time. And you probably do. And speaking of the planets, uh, some astronomers have taken a look at some old data. Well, not that old of data. It was from a few years ago when NASA's New Horizons spacecraft flew past Pluto. That was in 2015. They've taken a look at the surface and concluded that Pluto, in fact, does have cryovolcanoes. This was initially suspected, but uh, they're, they're more now sure than ever that that is what's going on with some of these structures. Pluto is quite remarkable, and it was thought to be a very old and dead and uninteresting world before we got there. But as Chief Investigator pointed out on that NOVA series, when they got there, they discovered that Pluto hadn't read the textbooks. Even though the dwarf planet is much smaller than our very own moon, it has an internal source of heat that is apparently driving these structures and, and resurfacing the planet in large areas. Nobody saw that coming. Which is, I think, the cool thing about science. You know, you, you, there's always surprises. Our quote of the day comes from G.K. Chesterton, who said, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. Our quip of the day comes from advertising exec Carl Alley, and we've attributed this in the past to Wilson Misner, but maybe it came from Carl Alley. It is that a consultant is someone who borrows your watch, tells you what time it is, and then keeps the watch. And our bonus quotation slash joke of sorts comes from Stephen Colbert. Someone we don't quote very often in this program because generally he's not funny. But I do like this one. Says Colbert, let me say something as an objective observer. It's never okay to punch a comedian. And I guess our stat of the day, although I'm reluctant to bring up this incident, but our stat of the day is that 61% of Americans say actor Will Smith was wrong to strike Chris Rock at the Oscars. 21% said he was justified. Age is a factor in this. Among people 65 and over, 72% considered Smith's actions wrong, compared to the 18 to 34-year-old group, where only 46% agreed. What's up with that? I'm afraid this correspondent will have to attribute that to the dumbing down of America. Late Carl Sagan makes a brief appearance in that Nova series, and I think, I think that uh, there's a meme very much in circulation currently from Carl Sagan's 1995 book, The Demon Haunted World, that I think we should just briefly quote from again. Said Sagan in this excerpt, I have a foreboding of an America in my children or grandchildren's time. The United States is a service and information economy when nearly all the key manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers were in the hands of a very few, and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues. When the people have lost the ability to set their own agendas or knowledgeably question those in authority. When clutching our crystals and nervously consulting our horoscopes, our critical faculties in decline, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what's true, we slide almost without noticing back into superstition and darkness. The dumbing down of America is most evident in the slow decay of substantive content in the enormously influential media. 
The 30-second sound bites, now down to 10 seconds or less. Lowest common denominator programming, credulous presentations on pseudoscience and superstition, but especially a kind of celebration of ignorance. Sagan wrote that 27 years ago. And here we are 27 years later when truckers are putting up a people's convoy circling uh, the Capitol Beltway a few weeks back. It was noted that the participants included a large contingent of QAnon theorists, such as Mickey Larson Olson, who said she is facing trial for her role in the January 6th Capitol attack. She said that she believes a QAnon prophecy that the late John F. Kennedy Jr. will return to reinstall Donald Trump as president. Other drivers said they believe that Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin are using the invasion of Ukraine as a cover to stop Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor, from making bioweapons in secret Ukrainian laboratories. Meanwhile, the Barack Obama Presidential Library has received more than 800 Freedom of Information Act requests. Now, you know, We've had many people in this program that have made very good use of, of FOIA requests to gain uh, information that uh, the public should have. But what people are asking the Barack Obama Presidential Library about seems to be potentially damaging information about Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci, or fuel for the theories like Pizzagate and Obama's birth certificate, and a supposed secret White House party for pedophiles. Here's what I really like for the Carl Sagan prophesied future of America. Although the item in question does refer to a study conducted in New Zealand, I, I think it could apply here in America as well. But down at the University of Waikato in New Zealand, a re researcher, Marianne Gary, and colleagues enlisted 780 volunteers in a study wherein half of them watched a short, silent YouTube video showing two commercial pilots landing an airplane. The researchers then gave each participant a hypothetical scenario. You are on a small commuter aircraft. Due to an emergency, the pilot is incapacitated, and you are the only person left to land the plane. Participants were asked how confident they would feel on a percentage scale about responding to the situation. People who watched that video were up to 30% more confident in their ability to land the plane without dying, compared with the confidence rating of those who hadn't seen the video. But... Even participants who hadn't watched the video gave themselves an average confidence score of 29% for their ability to land an aircraft, which I guess doing the math, if you watched that video, 59% were pretty sure they could do it. Gary said the findings suggest that people tend to inflate their confidence about certain things as a result of what she calls a rapid illusion, meaning they see images that make them believe they're capable of feats for which they have no skill. The results suggest this applies to a disturbing proportion of ordinary people, she says. Well, I just want to say that I, I've, I've got something like 1,100 plane landings under my belt. And while it isn't necessarily the most difficult thing in the world to accomplish, it's not something you could be confident you could stick on the first try. Mr. Millen, a little music for this one? Yes, it appears that people in Hong Kong are saying goodbye to their leader, Carrie Lam. She announced last week she would not seek a second five-year term as chief executive, leaving that post of hers with China in firm control of that financial hub. Carrie Lam 
had been a career civil servant when the city was under British rule and as chief executive was bound to uphold Hong Kong's autonomy. But she ultimately acted more as an agent for Beijing. Hong Kongers revolted against her efforts in 2019 to muscle through an extradition bill that could have sent them to highly politicized courts in mainland China. Beijing then imposed a draconian national security law that outlawed all dissent and the political opposition and independent media. Nice going, Carrie. <laughs> Hong Kongers are really sorry to see you go. And for our oddball story of the week, we have this. A 60-year-old German man allegedly received up to 90 COVID vaccinations so he could use the records of his real shots to produce fraudulent vaccination cards to sell to unvaccinated people. The man, whose name was not released, used the batch numbers on his real cards to forge the fake ones. He was caught when he showed up two days in a row at a vaccination center. It is noted that how the dozens of shots might have affected the man's health has yet to be determined. I did have to laugh after reading that to see the headlines that asked about COVID. Should you get a second booster? The FDA and CDC approved last week uh, a fourth dose of the COVID vaccine for people over 50. Of course, this raises questions for millions about, well, do you really need it? What are the health effects? Yada, yada, yada. I don't know. You might want to ask that German guy how he's making out. I mean, how bad could it be if he's got 90 pokes? And here's an opinion I'd like to quote from. I was a little bit taken aback when I read this, but, uh, but I, think, I think I'm going to quote from it. It comes from Jonathan Rauch, writing in AmericanPurpose.com. He said, If radical gender ideologues are allowed to dominate discussions of transgender rights, LGBT equality will be in jeopardy. He notes, as a 61-year-old gay male, I took part in the struggle for gay rights and gay marriage, joining other moderates in successfully arguing that there's nothing intrinsically radical or left-wing about gay equality. Trans equality is also not an inherently radical idea, and we can all live with preferred pronouns and other reasonable accommodations to gender identities. But the radical ideology now dominating the trans movement strikes most Americans as nutty, unfair, and dangerous— and it's causing a backlash against hard-won LGBT rights. Gender extremists insist that human gender and sex are social constructions, and that they're purely a matter of choice, and that, quote, trans women are women and trans men are men, comma, no difference, end quote. It is this ideology that has given us terms such as person with a uterus instead of woman, and the insistence that any distinction based on biological sex, such as who participates in women's sports, is inherently, quote, hateful, unquote. For the civil rights of trans people to be widely accepted, they must be decoupled from the radical demand that gender itself be erased. I think I will let that stand without further comment. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Baseball 2.0 after Major League Baseball approved for this season an electronic device that enables catchers to send signals for fastball, curve, slider, etc. to pitchers. Since catchers will not need to use their fingers to send signs, the device will end, they say, sign stealing. I'm not sure how this is going to work. I presume you're not using a microphone. 
Yeah, because just saying, like, you know, g- give me a fastball, the next one probably won't pan out. Mr. Miller says it'll be done through a device on the wrist. Okay. And it was a bad week, we'd have to say, for hubris with the news that Meghan Markle has filed a trademark for the word archetypes after announcing a new podcast called, well, yes, Archetypes. The word is derived from ancient Greek and entered English usage around the year 1540. We hope they don't grant her a trademark. It was an ugly week, on the other hand, for Whoppers, with the news that they are filing a class action lawsuit accusing Burger King of using ads that, quote, materially overstate, unquote, the size of his signature hamburger, showing, quote, more than double the meat, unquote, actually provided. Well, to that, I just have to add, where's the beef? And in some further good news to add to to this discussion, we have this item. Colorado has passed a law making it explicitly legal for a child to play or walk outside without parental supervision. This came after a rash of unwarranted reports of child abuse or neglect. Under a previous law, parents could be accused of neglect if they left kids in an environment, quote, injurious to the child's health or welfare, unquote. That, if you can believe it, invited 221,000 calls to the state's child abuse hotline last year, many of them reporting that a kid was simply playing outside or walking to school alone. And a bit of what have to be considered some bad news, uh, six or maybe it was seven, I'm not sure which people in the D.C. area were recently bitten by a rogue fox roaming Capitol Hill. These included Representative Ami Berra, Democrat of California, who is a physician. Police were able to capture the fox and did confirm what was suspected that the fox was rabid. So we're pretty sure Dr. Barra is going to get a series of rabies shots, along with six other people. Mr. Miller notes, apparently he is a vaxxer. We, we assume so. For, there's one for the anti-vaxxers. You're bitten by a rabid fox. What do you do? I don't know. Those vaccines will kill you. Yeah, well, rabies will kill you. By the way, here's, here's a rule of thumb on rabies. You're walking by somebody's yard. His dog is barking and barking at you. You get close enough for him to nip you. That's not going to be a rabid dog. The dog is doing what dogs normally do. Now, an animal like a fox, which normally avoids people, would not be expected to trot over and just bite people and then trot away. That is abnormal, crazy behavior usually associated with the rabies virus taking apart the brain of the animal. By the way, I, I do want to add, we, we have no reason to suspect that any of the behavior seen on Capitol Hill of Republicans of late has anything to do with being bitten by a rabid fox. Although, frankly, looking at some of it, it does make you wonder. And speaking of Republicans, how about this? Donald Trump has endorsed Dr. Mehmet Oz in his Pennsylvania Senate race. Mr. Miller suggests there had been a bit of confusion that Trump initially endorsed the Wizard of Oz, but they were able to clear that up. Now, it turns out Donald Trump really likes Mehmet Oz because of the fact that he was the former star of the Dr. Oz show. Oprah Winfrey thought the doc was just the cat's meow, and this really, you know, like Dr. Phil, uh, cleared a path for him to get his own show. But, you know, Trump 
got his start politically, you know, with a with a reality TV show. So he's you know well disposed toward Mehmet Oz. And there's some there's some choice quotes in this. Said Trump in a rally, I have known Dr. Oz for many years, as have many others, comma, even if only through his very successful television show. Yeah, that is kind of a generic quote. I could say, for example, I have known William Shatner for many years, as have many others, even if only through his very successful television shows. But Trump continued, he has lived with us through the screen and has always been popular, respected, and smart. Trump went on to cite an appearance he'd made on Dr. Oz's daytime television show in the thick of the 2016 presidential race, when Trump evidently showed partial results of a physical he'd taken. Trump said, He even said that I was in extraordinary health, which made me like him even more, although he also said I should lose a couple of pounds. The former president also emphasized Oz's electability, citing his appeal to women because of his daytime TV show. Women, said Trump, are drawn to Dr. Oz for his advice and counsel. I've seen this many times over the years. They know him, believe in him, and trust him. You know, we always say, if you can't trust a guy with his own reality TV show, who can you trust? But it's apparently not all a bed of roses for Dr. Oz in grabbing that senatorial uh, nomination in Pennsylvania. He's running a bitter, high-priced battle with another super-wealthy rival for the nomination, David McCormick, a former CEO of what's described as the world's largest hedge fund. We'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. Speaking of things medical, which, which I, guess, I guess we were with Dr. Oz, here's a headline for you. Dateline, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Groups canvas spring breakers to warn of fentanyl. Yes, apparently after some partygoers got sickened by fentanyl-laced cocaine, community activists sprang into action. The reporting on this did at least quote a David Sharp, who oversees community programs for the Broward Sheriff's Office, saying fentanyl and other synthetic drugs can be 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin, or prescription opioids. That's what makes overdoses so dangerous, just the massive nature of the overdose. This is something we're going to talk with Howard McKinney about when we get him on the show in the weeks to come. Howard used to work in the free clinic in the Haight-Ashbury during the drug mania days, and we're sure he'll be able to round out this discussion. Something else I'm sure that we will have a, a fruitful discussion with uh, Dr. McKinney about is the fact that, I think we reported on this, Mr. Millen, in a magazine entitled Nature Machine Intelligence, it was noted that a bunch of colleagues at the Collaborations Pharmaceuticals in Raleigh, North Carolina, reported that when AI was turned loose, examining various compounds, to quote from The Economist, the result was terrifying. Trained on the chemical structures of a set of drug-like molecules, taken from publicly available databases together with those molecules known toxicities the modified software required six hours to generate 40,000 virtual molecules that fell within the researchers predefined parameters for possible use as a chemical weapon now the list included some things that were known nerve agents notably vx one of the most toxic uh, known but the software also managed to come up with not yet synthesized substances predicted to be deadlier still. Some of these occupied what chemists call molecular property space. 
that were entirely separate from those inhabited by known neurotoxins, suggesting that whole new classes of chemical weapons might be developed if anybody wishes to try. Thankfully, the publication was evidently vague on some of the specifics of this. And final item of the day, which also involves China, although in this case has nothing to do with Carrie Lam. Reportedly, a Chinese man has spent the last 14 years living in the Beijing Capital International Airport, so he can smoke and drink without his family's nagging. After losing his job when he was in his 40s, Wei Jingguo spent his days at home indulging in his two favorite vices, smoking and drinking. But his family told him if he wanted to stay, he had to quit. Instead, he took up residence in Terminal 2, where he uses an electric cooker to make his food and keeps blankets and clothing in a couple of suitcases. He concedes, it's not the lap of luxury, but at least I have my freedom. And we do have an unconfirmed report that Carrie Lam is headed north now to see what she can do to help. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back with Dr. Stephen Harper. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.